Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. I love Pastor Dan's growth group questions, don't you guys? They're, they are amazingly good at provoking discussion. And in groups this week, I had the pleasure, not once but twice, because we host a group in our home, I'm also part of the Midtown Growth Group, to answer the question on a scale from one to 10, how would you rate your comfort level with talking about sex? What do you think I said? Grandpa, pastor, come on now. Three, let me give you some background. When I was a child, I did not grow up in a Christian home. My dad took me to the bars. That was our time together. In the bars, there were often things that maybe an eight or nine-year-old should not see, and many of them pertaining to sex. When my dad would take me to the garage to get the car fixed, I don't know why, but all of his mechanics seemed to be the kind of guys that would have Playboy centerfolds posted up on the wall everywhere. That's what I saw already as eight, nine, ten years old. Very early on, we got comfortable with the idea of sex in our family because it was not, as it is in many families, particularly Christian families, a taboo subject in our house. I wouldn't say we spent an inordinate amount of time talking about it, but I would also say it wasn't something hidden. Then, as many of you know, later on after my seminary training, I went to Africa, and in Africa I had Bible studies with young men. I felt it was important to train and equip young men how to be uh, great young men and, and, um, and how to be husbands one day. Many, many times I would get asked things like, but pastor, how can you say that the Bible tells us not to have sex before we're married? Brother, don't we need to know how our equipment works before we actually marry someone? That was, that was across the world that people would ask that question. Then I became a high school teacher at Arizona Lutheran Academy down the road here. And we'd be opening up our Bibles in religion class because it was my job to teach all the classes, freshmen, sophomore, uh, junior, senior. Actually, Mr. Meyer had sophomores back in that day. I had juniors and seniors and freshmen. And we'd be, okay, let's open our Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 20. We're going to talk about Abraham today. And I would be about to, to dive into that topic and one student would raise his hand and he would say, Pastor, what about masturbation? Pastor, what sex positions are allowed for Christians? Those would, and here's what I had to figure out. Were those impertinent questions? Were those undesirable questions? Or was this an opportunity for me to send a message that often one side of gets sent in the church, which is sex can be sinful, 
But there's a whole nother side to the message, and do you know what that is? Sex is intended to be a tremendous blessing, a tremendously cool gift that God has given us and that he gave it to us for us to enjoy within certain parameters so that it can be a blessing to us. It's, for many of us, an uncomfortable subject. When we had our growth group discussion, there were a fair number of people who said two or three. What do you think I said now after I just gave you that history? I said 10. I don't mind talking about it at all. In fact, I've almost been forced to talk about so many times because of marriage counseling where I have a couple sitting before me and part of the whole environment of the marriage is their sex life and I don't bring it up, they bring it up. And again, you can't, you can't be shy in those moments because if you get too shy, you tacitly begin to send the message that there is only sin in the subject of sex. There is no blessing. There is no good in it. We, we just need to avoid this subject entirely. And by the way, if we talk about it at all, we should talk about it very, very, diff- uh, uh, very, very carefully. And I, I'm going to say that leaves the field open for Satan. That, that means we walk off the field of spiritual battle and say, Satan, have at it, because we're not, you know what, we're not going to fight you on this subject, We're not going to talk about the blessings of sex. We're not going to talk about the sins of sex because it makes us feel uncomfortable. We know it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, Satan, but we just can't bring ourselves to talk about it. Do you know where else we find that there's a high comfort level of talking about sex? You might be surprised about this. A 10 the Bible. I want to read a quote for you that I found in doing my research. And the Bible says, this expert, this commentator says, it's a book called Rediscovering God's Design for Marriage and Becoming Soulmates for Life. They say, the role of the woman throughout the Song of Solomon is truly astounding, especially in light of its ancient origins. It is the woman, not the man, who is, dom- who is the dominant voice throughout the poems that make up the Song of Solomon. She is the one who seeks, pursues, initiates. In Song of Solomon 5, 10 to 16, she boldly exclaims her physical attraction. Most English translations hesitate in this verse to translate the Hebrew as accurately as they should because the translators are shy. The Hebrew is quite erotic and most translators cannot bring themselves to bring out the obvious meaning. So I I took what I thought was probably the most uh, today kind of translation of Song of Songs, chapter 5, and I want you to see how God clearly says within the bounds of marriage, sex is something that we should celebrate. So let's have a look at that passage. My dear lover glows with health. Red-blooded, radiant, he's one in a million. There's, there's no one quite like him. 
My golden one, pure and untarnished with raven black curls tumbling across his shoulders. His eyes are like doves, soft and bright, but deep set, brimming with meaning, like wells of water. Would you suspect you're reading the Bible? His face is rugged, his beard smells like sage, his voice, his words, warm and reassuring. Fine muscles ripple beneath his skin, quiet and beautiful. His torso is the work of a sculptor, hard and smooth as ivory. Have you ever noticed these kind of things in the Bible? The celebration of God's blessing of sex. But that comes with a basic foundational understanding that all of us must have. And that basic foundational understanding comes from asking this question. Who does my body belong to? Who does my body belong to? And then, because I killed, absolutely killed all the suspense by the title of this message, my body belongs to God, The next question, can you imagine what that is? If my body belongs to God, then what ramifications, what results does that have for my sex life? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's uh, dive in to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we need to start back a little bit from the topic of sexuality to understand where Paul is on this subject, we have to go into a little bit of context. Um, And so we're going to back up from the original uh, verses I intended, which are directly pertaining to the topic of sex. And I want to show you something here that's very important. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 6, 7 to 10. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have completely, you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What Paul is doing here, and if you were to read 1 Corinthians chapters 1 to 5 and the verses in chapter 6, is he's basically doing something that... You have to understand Paul. And Paul's kind of an interesting guy because on the one hand, Paul is all about us stepping out into our community, being forward and engaging our culture. If you remember what what Paul says in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, he says this, I want to become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. Let's let's not be hermits here. Let's not be monks in our monastery on some desert mountaintop. We're meant to meet people where they're at. We're meant to understand the culture that we live in so we can meet people where they're at. That's what Paul says on the one hand. And Paul says on the other hand, we have to be careful which direction the influence flows when we do this. 
If we're not going to be hermits and monks living in a desert monastery, if we are going to be engaging our culture and our community, be aware that there's a danger in that, that our culture and community can begin to influence us and we become no different at all from our culture and community. We basically become what our culture and community are. Look at this verse we just read. Basically, what Paul is saying here is, you guys are arguing, you have lawsuits, you are acting in a worldly way. You are acquiescing to the culture. And while I want you to engage the culture and participate in the culture, I don't want you to acquiesce to the culture. Paul, as he builds churches, is building outposts of God's truth all around the Mediterranean world. And these outposts are meant to be places where biblical truth is preserved on the one hand, but not just preserved, also promoted. And that's why Paul is writing to the Corinthians because he's basically saying to them, not just in the area of sex, but in lots of little different areas, you're not building the community that God wants to see you build that stands out as light in a dark place. Do you see that that's still our job today? That dual pathway? That when we build churches, whether it's here, Crosswalk Levine, when we start our new church in Crosswalk Midtown, those are meant to be outposts of God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's truth, They're also meant to be a place from which, like we call the land, we launch out. It's a launch pad. It's a lighthouse, but it's also a launch pad. That's Paul's thing here. So here's what I want you to write down. God's goal is to build a new community. We could say new communities that stand apart from society and help people because they create an image of God's kingdom. They help people see what God's kingdom is all about. Now, to understand about God's blessing of sexuality, we have to understand that this whole thing is not built on the law. And I will tell you that I think in Christianity, often what people do is they look at us and they go, man, when it comes to sex, Christians are so legalistic. But I want you to see where Paul goes before he gets into the topic of sex. Let's put up 1 Corinthians 6.11. It's not in your program. Now, Paul has just said... Let me reread it for you because we read it. Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on from that to say, and that is what some of you were. What tense is that? Mm Mm-hmm. What does that mean? We're not that anymore. Why not? But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What's Paul saying? 
before I leap into the subject of sex, let's go back to the gospel. Remember when you were slaves to the ways of the world? When it completely impacted you and, and, and you, were, you were all balled up and entwined by that? And remember the pain of that? Remember the guilt and shame you felt when you were trying to imitate the world and its ways? When you bought into its ways of thinking? Back then, I just want you to go back and think, really, was that leading you to be the man or the woman that you wanted to become? That's what some of you were, but... Here's who can make you into the man or, or woman you want to become. His name is Jesus. And as Jesus comes into our heart and into our life, he washes away all of our sins. So we're, this is the gospel, guys. This is, we're forgiven. Because Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. Because he died the perfect sacrificial death in our place, and we now walk away free from all of our sins. It's a beautiful truth, and it is the foundational truth. When Paul, when Paul builds outposts of Christian truth, it's not primarily to teach the commandments. Do we, do we understand that? It's so critical. It is primarily to teach Jesus Christ, his love for us, his mercy, the new identity that we possess in him, that we're dearly loved children of God bought with his blood. Because it is from that foundation that we experience life change. Rules, laws, statutes don't produce life change. Don't produce peace and happiness. In fact, they do the very opposite. Paul says the letter kills. And so when we are building these communities, these are communities of grace, communities of forgiveness, communities that point to Jesus, the cross, and the empty tomb. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, free from all of our sin, let's go on. Once we know grace frees us, Paul has a quote here. I have the right to do anything, you say. Well, yeah. Because we're living not under the law, but under grace. But Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul's saying, we have to remember that one of the key features of sin is that it enslaves. One of the reasons God says, watch out from, for sin, flee from sin, is he doesn't want you to become controlled and mastered and enslaved by it. Don't raise your hand. Do any of you struggle with porn? If you do, you know what Paul is saying here. That once you begin to go down the path of pornography, this type of sexual immorality, it becomes completely captivating to the point where eventually it becomes enslaving. It begins to affect your life. It begins to twist up your heart and your mind. Eventually, if you keep going down that path, it will master you and enslave you. That's what Paul is saying here. 
You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do you see why we say your body belongs to the Lord? Because that's exactly what Paul is saying. My body is meant to be used for the Lord. Including how I use my body sexually is meant to happen with the thought of how does the Lord want this to happen? Not because it's legal or illegal, but because Christ paid this huge loving price to redeem me. Because Christ died on a cross for me out of that immense love. Because Christ rose again to free us and one day give us eternal life in heaven where we can enjoy his hugs forever. Because of the gospel is why we don't want to be mastered by anything else but Jesus. Now, for this to happen, we have to get the gospel. It's so important. At at the end of this message, it's going to be a beautiful song. Every time I watch the video on YouTube, we're not going to show the video today, I encourage you to go and watch this video on YouTube. The song is by 10th Avenue North. It's called You Are More. We're going to sing it today. And in this song uh, are these words. You are not the choices you have made. You are not the sum of your past mistakes. You are not the problems you've created. I want you to hear that loud and clear. You are not the choices you've made. That's not who you are. You are not the sum of your past mistakes. You are not the problems you create. And then there's another line. But don't you know who you are? And that, that keeps being asked. And why? Because it's the gospel who tells us who we are. It's Jesus who tells us. Because he died and rose again for us, we are dearly loved children of God bought with the blood of Christ. And it is with that beautiful, merciful gospel understanding of God's heart for us that we then say, okay, how can I love God back? Also with my sexuality. How can I honor God who has honored me with his perfect life, death, and resurrection? How can I take what he's given me, this immense blessing of sex? I don't know if you guys know, but sex is fun. (laughs) It is. And sex is productive. Tell me what the first commandment is. Not the first of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment ever given. Do you know what it is? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, back in the day, they didn't have artificial insemination. So be fruitful and multiply means have babies, but it also means do what you do to make the babies. The very first commandment that God gave human beings. Man, we're so uncomfortable with this topic. But the point is that unless we get more comfortable with it, 
we're going to be ending up influenced by the world's ideas about it, and we're not going to help the world see a different point of view. And that's why, real quickly, I want to run you through three myths that you're going you're gonna to hear. And these, these are the reason why we must break the silence. I'm going to say that again. The title of this series is Silence Breakers. Because the world, the devil, our own selfish, sinful flesh will produce these myths, we have to break the silence about sex or else these myths are going to take the field and own it. All right? Number one. Sex myth number one. Sex is biological and natural. Notice what Paul has just said. We read it before. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. Look, sex is like eating. It's just a biological function. It's natural. It's normal. And once you believe, not just that sex is natural and biological, because like all good lies, what do all good lies start with? The truth. This is true. Sex is natural. Sex is biological. Did did you know, for example, that when you have sex you get a major dose of oxytocin that your body produces, which is the bonding chemical. Pastor Dan did that illustration last week with the beautiful illustration, right? With the duct tape. And and he was pointing out that when we have sex, we bond to one another. That's biological and it's real and it's true. But it's not solely biological. And that's what we have to understand. If we say it is solely biological, then the result, and we hear this is, it's important to be realistic about it. Here's what I mean. Let's put those quotes up. So on the internet, I looked up, should abstinence be taught in schools? And I'm going to share with you three answers. And they're all going to say the same thing, basically. Sex is biological. Sex is natural. Therefore, we have to be realistic about it. No, absence should not be taught in school. Instead, safe sex should be taught in school. Come on, it's the 21st century. Most kids aren't going to engage in abstinence anymore. It's outdated. Teach safe sex so that students will know the precautions to take when they decide it's time. Not if. When they decide it's time to engage in sexual activity. Next quote. Sex is a part of life. It should not be viewed as a bad thing. Well, we agree with that. Everyone does it, and if they were not, it will eventually happen. I wouldn't even disagree a whole lot with that as long as we said in marriage, because that's the boundary God put around it. But look, sex is a part of life. It's natural. It's biological. They should be taught the meaning of consent and how to protect themselves against STDs and unwanted pregnancies, not how to deny themselves of their... Read this with me. Basic human urges. So where that philosophy leads is right what we just wrote. You got to be real. And telling people to abstain until they're married, that, that is, that's the opposite of real. Instead, people who believe in this, that their bottom line is any safe... Any sex that is safe and consensual is good sex. If it's safe, you wear a condom. 
You protect yourself against unwanted pregnancies and STDs. That's good sex. That's all. It has to be safe and consensual. All right, that's number one. Take a look. And by the way, before I go on, there's one other point. The first quote, in the 21st century, Paul's tackling that same philosophy in the first century. The body for food and the food for the body. It's just natural, just like food. It's like eating. Sex is like eating. That's not 21st century thought. That's as ancient as the days. All right, moving on. Sex myth number two. Sex is dirty and degrading. Avoid sex as much as possible because it's allowable only for the higher good of having children and ensuring the future of the family. Look at the verse above that. Now for the matters you wrote about. So the Corinthians wrote him a letter, and he quotes from their letter. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Is, is that what you Corinthians believe? That sex is kind of dirty and degrading and that, and that we shouldn't have sex? Avoid it as, as much as you can. And by the way, if you're going to have sex, only do it if you have a higher purpose. And, and bonding, that doesn't count. What, what really counts for having sex is having children. If you can further the family, that's a good reason to have sex. You know what's interesting about this one? There was a, a type of Christian thought in the early church that already was around during the time of Paul that basically made its way, wormed its way into the church. And the philosophy was there's good and evil. It's called dualism. There's light and dark. There's spirit and there's flesh. Decide which side you're on. Are you on the side of the spirit and the light and the life? Or are you, are you going to be a slave to your, your base fleshly desires? And, and so even in the early church, and, and, and I think today a lot of people would look at number two and go, that's what the church teaches that's what Christianity believes. Sex is dirty and degrading. And the only reason she should ever have sex is to make children. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what God has done. It's the very opposite. And we'll talk about that in, in a moment. So, avoid sex as much as possible. Another myth, because it's allowable only for the higher good of having children and ensuring the future of the family. I will say this on a personal level. If you, especially as a young person, were hurt in a sexual situation, if somebody assaulted you or if somebody uh, used their power over you, we see, we see this uh, on many of those testimonies of the young girls. You're going to struggle with myth number two. And it's only through Christ's healing that you are going to be able to experience sex as the blessing that God means it to be. All right, flip the page. We'll go to the back. Here's a third big one. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? 
For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Here's what Paul is saying. When you come to faith in Christ, you become one with Christ. He becomes your everything. And we say this constantly here from the stage. Pastor Dan says it, I say, Christ is my identity. Christ is my purpose. Christ is my possibilities. Christ is my destiny. Christ forms my community. Christ is my everything. He is the one that gives me peace and joy and forgiveness and grace and mercy. He is the one who, out of love, died for me and rose again. Can't say it enough. Immense, immense, immense love. And and Paul says, that's who you are one with. So don't build your identity around anyone or anything else because if you do, it will crumble. I subjected my own family to a lot of pain in my late 30s because I allowed myself to build my identity around something other than Christ. And I've shared this with you before and I'm gonna share it with you again today to show you how identity built around anything else will crumble and leave you and, and your loved ones in a lot of pain. For 14 years, we lived in Africa, and slowly but surely, I got it in my head that who I was was African missionary. Only what happens when you get a call to come back to the United States, and that isn't what you are. Huge midlife crisis, huge identity crisis. And I'm I'm cautioning you. I'm... urging you, don't let Satan work on your heart to build your identity anywhere else than dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only solid, uncrumbling identity that we can have that will never leave us. Dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And everything else will crumble at some point. If not now, on the day of judgment. Now, in our society, influenced by uh, a philosophy that was very popular at the time that this country was founded called Romanticism, Romanticism basically says that the highest goal of humans is to self-actualize, to be an individual, to create whatever identity you want for yourself. We call it finding ourselves and then being ourselves. And people all through our culture and our world are doing it. They are trying to find themselves. And then once they've found themselves, they are trying to be themselves. Now, here's the point. Even your sexuality and your gender can get elevated to that's my identity. And because that's my identity, I must express my creativity through my sexuality and my gender. Just like calling yourself, you know who I am? I'm a missionary to Zambia. That's who I am. What I'm saying is, if you create your identity on your gender or your sexuality, eventually one day in this life or the next, that's going to crumble underneath you and you're going to be left wanting and hurting yourself and hurting a lot of other people. 
Sex myth number three, sex is identity or creativity. Don't allow society to dictate who you are or suppress you. This is what our society says. Don't you tell me who I am. I'm an individual. It's up to me to discover who I am. And don't suppress my creativity. I I, I need to be able to express myself however I want. Guys, these are all myths, and it's why we must break the silence. Because if we don't break the silence, we're leaving people to experience the kind of pain that I experienced and I put my family through when I came back from Zambia. All right, let's close this out. Last verse, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are what? Temples. Let's say it out loud. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Who does your body belong to? The Holy Spirit. It's a temple intended to honor him. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Therefore, he is God. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? There's the answer to the question. Your body is not yours. Your body doesn't belong to society and its thoughts. Your body doesn't belong any longer to Satan or sin. It belongs through Christ paying that huge loving price for you to him and to the Holy Spirit whom he has sent to be in you. You are not your own, You were bought at a price. Think about that beautiful, loving price that Jesus paid for you. You see how all this is driven not by law, but by gospel? Your your sexual life is built not out of rules, but out of your relationship with Jesus. Because he bought you at a price, the cost of his own blood, the cost of his own life. And because we're bought... We're now his to be with him, forgiven, free, graced, and one day in eternity. And therefore, Paul says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. And how do you do that if you're married? Real easy. Take a look at that last verse. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. What's that say? Sex is something dirty and degrading? Just the opposite. Sex is something beautiful. You know what Paul believes if you read through and actually the Bible teaches? That every time you have sex, you are renewing your marriage covenant, your marriage vows. Did you ever think of it that way? Uh, Sometimes as pastors, Pastor Dan and I will get this request. Would you help us renew our vows? Right, And they want to have a little ceremony where they say their vows again. And we'll usually accommodate that. We're, we're down with that. But I also like to tell people, haven't you been renewing your vows? <laughs> I hope you have. I hope you've renewed your vows frequently because that's what the Bible teaches. I don't know about in your house. Now, don't get these crazy images, but I'm just, I'm a 10. I'm a 10. Right? If I don't renew my vows with Julie for a little while, or she doesn't renew them with me, 
you know what happens? Maybe this happens to you, maybe it doesn't. What happens in my house is, do you still love me? Not just do you want, do you still find me physically attractive? Not, not just do you still enjoy sex with me, but do you love me? Do you still want to be with me? When we deprive each other of sex within marriage, we call the marriage covenant into question. And this is what Paul is saying when he says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty, meaning the husband should have sex with his wife. That's what that means. They're saying it nice here translating it nice, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. If you don't enjoy God's blessing of sex in marriage, and I see it so often in in counseling married couples, it has a huge power to impact your marriage. Let's uh, finish this. My body belongs to God. And if you look at this passage, here's what you're going to learn. Sex is very good, very good, because in marriage, it honors God, it celebrates the goodness of God, and it bonds us to one another. And because we're being obedient... We're listening to the gospel. We're driven by our identity in Christ. It also bonds us back to God, to Christ himself. Here's the passage I want you to take home with you today. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. That's pure gospel. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And I want you to take this next step. I'm going to believe that my body belongs to God. And as a result of believing that, I'm going to worship and serve God faithfully and honor him with my body. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word that clarifies very, very straightforward manner, in a very straightforward manner, your plan for our sexual life. Lord, I I ask that you would watch over us, help us to defeat the lies that are told in society, Help, help us as a church to be outposts for your love and your truth and your forgiveness. Help us to have open and honest conversations because there, we, we are going to need those conversations about sex so that we can come more and more and more in line with you. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he paid the price so that he could own our bodies. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Well, was that awkward for you? I'm a grandpa. I'm a pastor. Maybe you didn't expect those words to come out of my mouth. 
But I'm telling you, I think it's critically important that we do not leave the field open to myths and lies. We are meant to be a community of people who bust myths for the sake of Christ and bring people into the kingdom for now and for eternity so that they can know God's truth and put it into practice in their lives. And you know why we do that? Why we want people to know God's truth and put it into practice in their lives also with their sexuality? Because that's the path to true joy and peace and happiness. And if we don't want people to experience that, then we should stay quiet. We shouldn't be silence busters. We shouldn't break the quiet. But if we want people to experience Christ and his peace and his joy, then let's get out there and break the silence. And nothing should be taboo if God speaks about it in his word. Let me send you out with God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his peace and give you his grace. Amen.